You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Kenneth. And tonight we're looking at the 16th episode of the second season of Star Hunter Redux, the episode entitled Rivals. And I'm just going to put this out there, folks, for me tonight. My plan is this is a no rant zone. Episode synopsis. Callie is having a bad day. Not only are the rolling blackouts and malfunctions of the trans-utopian getting her down, but she's got a troublesome prisoner that manages to steal her key, unbeknownst to her, of course. There's no solutions to their overall problems anytime soon. They're not making enough money to keep the ship fully powered on, nor to perform needed repairs. As Callie tries to spill her soul to an unlistening Travis, word that the prisoner has escaped has reached them. They need to take him alive to collect their bounty, and rather than logically applying a stun gun at the first opportunity, instead, Callie roundhouse kicks him into electrical equipment, nearly killing the prisoner and completely disabling the transutopian, just as a giant asteroid bears down on them. They are rescued when Captain Christopher Judson of the ship Seattle blasts the asteroid into a million even tinier, more dangerous pieces. But let's ignore that. The Seattle is a slick ship owned by the Fugitive Containment Systems Corporation. It's a Martian military design and well-equipped and crewed. They're the future of bounty hunting. Captain Judson likes the cut of Galley's jib. And since Travis isn't doing anything for her jib, she's sorely tempted by what she sees. When she tries to bring up jib with Travis, he seems oblivious that we're talking about jibs. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Say no more. Travis fumes as only Travis can. A preemptive bounty comes in. That's a high-priced bounty to arrest someone before they commit a crime. There are a couple of minor complications. The target is a highly trained ex-military assassin. He's committed multiple successful assassinations. He's escaped multiple high-security prisons. Nobody knows what he looks like, and they have no clue whom he plans to kill. The Seattle makes way, covering their tracks so the Transutopian won't follow them. Via encrypted transmission, Captain Judson offers Callie a job, and when she finds out Travis and Rudolfo track the transmission in hopes of getting intel on the Seattle's destination, she decides enough is enough and accepts their offer of a commission. After some setbacks, the Transutopian have tracked the Seattle to Clark Station, and they are also in search of the assassin. The Seattle gets to the fugitive first, or so they think. Callie warns them that something is wrong, but they ignore the junior recruit. They should have listened. Their entire team is terminated in a trap, save for Callie, who was guarding the hallway. She warns Travis that the target is extremely dangerous, plus, you know, she just likes the sound of his voice, and she's mad at Captain Judson for filling out the paperwork on his dead crew before getting into the action himself. As things unfold, it is Captain Judson that is the actual intended victim, and Callie and Travis save him, kill the assassin, bringing in a hefty bounty for Team Transutopian and returning Callie to the fold. However, jibs have not been resolved. All right, Rivals. What did you think of Rivals? I found it passable. Um, last week was not, last week's episode, Kate, was not watchable. 
uh, this one is. Yeah, I I agree. This one was fine. Uh, I you know I watched it and it I I said well I'm I'm not going to have much here, but uh, uh, it it did it neither offended me nor it uh, 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 boggled my mind in any way. So it was it was a diverting, uh, mildly entertaining forty however many minutes forty nine minutes or whatever it is. Uh, something. So I was uh, actually forty four minutes. Forty four minutes. It just seems like forty nine. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I did. I did appreciate the big flashing neon sign in the middle of the episode. Don't forget about the antimatter drive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now they're now they're really cramming it in hard. Now <laughs> there are five episodes left after this. We have to remind people of it. Don't forget, they've got an antimatter drive that they never use. So, yeah. <laughs> What's up with Callie? Is, is this just she's got the hots for Travis? It's part of it. And I, it's amazing to me that Travis may be the only one who doesn't know. Okay, good, because he seems to be completely and utterly oblivious to this. And um, I, there is a line where he says something like, uh, what do you want from me? Haven't I always been there for you? And her response is, as a partner, yeah. yes. And it's just like, okay, Travis, you can't get much more obvious that she means in some other way, whether as a friend or as a potential lover or, or what it might be. I guess we could leave it some wiggle room for Travis to to not get that, but it seems pretty it pretty seems pretty solid and he doesn't address it in any way. It just leaves. And it's the wrong thing to do. E- even if he even if he even if this is new information, like what? What you, 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 me? Oh, I had no idea. I mean, even if it's that, you gotta acknowledge what she just plunked out on the table in some yeah. way. I, I I don't know how to process that. Uh, I don't think people who work together should have a relationship. Uh, I, I, I think of you as a sister. Can't we just be friends? Uh, whatever. But you can't do what Travis did, which is to appear to be still clueless. Yeah. And my, this, this, this one is, this strikes me as being odd. Um, my experience uh, with relationships, I admit, is not stellar. Um, but I know when a, when a woman is throwing herself at me. Yeah. Yeah, or you hope you do. Oh, actually, I, I mean, do. I do. Yeah, well, I, well, you know, there is always that time when you think they are and they aren't, and then that's just a whole ball of... But, yes. You know, okay. yeah, by and large, it's pretty obvious here that she is absolutely positively and has been for the last several episodes trying to break down that wall in Travis. Now, the question is, why is that wall there? Why is Travis oblivious to this? It doesn't seem to me like growing up with the Raiders would leave him cut off from the possibility of having a girlfriend, no, having children. I mean, okay, admittedly, the Raiders have this thing about kidnapping instead of having children, but you know, we we don't know whether current Raiders yeah. are making babies or not, but it just the second season doesn't answer that question. Yeah, and they and they don't even they don't go there, as far as I can tell. They don't. 
so far there's been no mention of that. The Raiders are just, you know, biker gangs now in the even have the leather the jackets. Yeah. Yeah, they've gone they've gone full biker gang. So yeah, Travis is not he's you know, he's got a lot of good quality. He's a much better opinion, my opinion, much better character than than Dante was. Yeah, certainly better written. And he is a better hero type. Um, he seems to be more intelligent and intuitive, but man, is he blind here. Yeah. Well, well without getting to the spoiler zone, I'll just say that we'll have some resolution on that. We will have a resolution on this before the end of the season. Before they're all killed before with a the fiery explosion. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it feels like it has to be going somewhere, but even in the final scene when they give a hug, and I'll give them credit for this, when you see Callie's face, she's into the hug. Yeah. Like, in fact, I'm looking this at is, this image right now. This is where I want to be. And Travis is like, keep up the good work, Callie. Right. <laughs> like, right. Good to have you back. Uh, it, it's very, uh, yeah, it, it, it's very uh, and you know credit to the actors on that that they managed to convey that so you know i definitely could not have gotten that out of michael pare and no. i think we could have gotten either of those expressions well clueless we could have gotten clueless but no. um, that character that well, that character is a bit doer uh, yeah so let's talk about the idea of a preemptive bounty yeah so the guy they want is already a killer He's already a wanted killer. Yes, he is. So, presumably, there's a bounty on him already. Well, we guess. Okay. But they've gone, aha, we've got intel that he's planning to kill somebody, again, because he's an assassin. And so, we're going to put out a bounty that's worth more money if you get him before he kills, again. That what I'm getting out of this? Go the on. idea of the preemptive ban? All right. If that's the case... What if they failed to stop him from killing Judson, and then they stopped him? It's like, oh, so sorry, you don't get two hundred thousand credits. Yeah. You only get fifty thousand credits. Well, there cause... would have been a reduced one. Yes. Okay, but wouldn't you think? Crazy notion here. But every time somebody kills someone, you'd think they'd raise the bounty on them so that you catch them before the next. One again, I, I mean, you know, killed one person, X amount, killed two people. Maybe we should increase the bounty. Even the, the goal of the bounty is to get the guy off the streets. So it doesn't really make any sense to reduce the bounty if the guy, and they don't even know who he's going to kill. I mean, it, it, it could be different. Like, um, let's say they knew he was going after that prosecutor. The prosecutor could go, tell you what, I'm kicking in an extra 50,000 credits if you get to him before he gets to me. Right. That makes sense. But for the authorities to say, we think he's going to kill somebody, therefore we'll pay you more. How, how do they know? How about this one? Let's try this scenario. Uh, he plans to kill person A. Okay. And so they put out the preemptive bounty. It says, uh, we know he plans to kill somebody. We don't know who that is. But if you get to him before you kill him, how, how we're going to give you 200000 which is more than we would give you if you got to him. If you brought him in today... Before we issued this, he'd only been worth 50000 or whatever. But So he's going after person A, but you, they don't know he's going after person A. They just know he's going after somebody. 
On the way, he kills person B, like, let's say, the bellboy, the busboy, in the hotel. Yes, him. But since they don't know he was going after person A, how do they know he wasn't going after the bellboy? And so should they reduce the bounty because he's already killed too late? You didn't get there in time. I, it, it's, it is a fair question. <laughs> it's a very strange. And it does once again bring into question about what the heck is going on with bounty hunting, you know, as a, as a profession oh, yeah, in this of, solar system. It's, oh, I get it. Yeah. I have some questions here. Um, or shall we say containment engineers? Uh, uh-huh. um, but the, uh, that's what Judson calls them. Yes. The, uh, should bounty hunters wear spiffy uniforms? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good question. Probably not. Maybe when you're on the ship. Yeah, but we're out there trying to, when you, maybe, but when you're tracking, in when you're trying to, when you're trying to catch somebody. You should go incognito, exactly. Yes. So, so here's my question about this whole um, uh, uh, containment, uh, Fugitive Containment Systems Corporation. Is Estelle's School Cafeteria Pizza of Walla Walla, Washington, a major competitor of Domino's or Pizza Hut? I get no. Yeah, and uh, so. What we have is we have the transutopian, which can't get enough work and can't bring in enough bounties to keep the power on for them to have to repair the ship. It is a awful business proposition that they are currently operating under. And yet it would seem that they are, I don't want to use the word legendary, but they're of, there are bounty hunters of note because Judson knows about them, and it sounds like they are good at their job, but they're still flat broke. Yes, and there's Judson and crew flying around in a, that spi- e- in a spiffy ship wearing the spiffy uniforms. With with salaries and dental benefits and health benefits and paid vacation yes, and military-grade vessels and uniforms, and he says at one point that it would be a bonus. Callie's good, and that's a bonus, but it would also cut our major competition. As yeah. if the Transutopian and the Seattle are operating, you know, what, what heck, I, I would go so far as to say that if you had 90% of the business and a competitor at 10%, you might call them a major competitor. But, you know, this this is Domino's versus that little bad pizza place in a small town somewhere. Maybe it's great pizza, but it ain't a competitor. Yeah, it may be a competitor in that small town, but in the larger sense, no. In the larger scale, it just isn't. And so you kind of wonder if uh, fugitive containment systems have stumbled upon a very poor business plan. I think they have. Um, (laughs) um, I indeed have a number of questions about this corporation. Uh, for example, how long have they been around since nobody on the Transutopian knows anything about them until this episode? Nope. For example, I mean, all that flying around the solar system and catching fugitives, I assume there are many of them not in episodes. Right. And then uh, no one's heard of FCS. No. And they're well-equipped and well-heeled, and, uh, and they are trying to muscle in on the business and take over the bounty hunter business, but it's just nothing we have ever seen has made bounty hunting 
look like a lucrative business. No, um, it, it's a it's a pain. It's uh, it's dangerous, and it seems to be filled with lots of little mom and pop shop kind of guys. Which there is a certain amount of that in reality, but you know, largely there are agencies that do that, and so it just. To me, it kind of, I've mentioned this before and probably it'll come up again. Just they don't really have a good idea of what these people are doing and why they're doing it and why the justice system works the way it does. No, like this. Don't. And this and, preemptive, the preemptive yeah. business is, you know, just more of that. It's just exactly. like we're just, man, there's just some ideas we throw out there. And as long as they're hunting for somebody, we're good. It, it doesn't have to yeah. make a lot of sense. But right. Yeah, and the other part about FCS's business model is, um, should bounty hunters be filling out paperwork and pushing pencils? Again, somebody has to. I mean, I, you know, I, I, yes, joke about it a little bit in the show, joke about it a little bit in the monologue, but you're, you got five employees killed. Um, there probably is stuff you need to take care of. Yeah. And I don't know that the, the right answer is, I'll do the paperwork and then I, the captain, will come down and join the investigation myself. Is there, like, not another team on that ship? It, that was unclear as to I how big saw, the crew was. Well, I did see that there were some other um, people on that crew wearing uniforms, and I assume and they seemed to have arms and fingers, and I guess they could fill up paperwork. Yeah, I mean, it, there, there, is some, there, are, there are some legitimate things things that they needed to do, like, I don't know, verify that they were... I'm not completely down on the fact that there is stuff that needs to be done, like, I don't know, report it to the local police, that there are some dead bodies. There's all sorts of things that you might need to do when four of your employees are killed on an assignment on Clark Station. And that's not something that you can just, like, come on, we can skip that. No, it, it is depends now if they're filling out the forms to to get their you know insurance policies paid off to their next of kin that's yeah that's the wrong time you can wait until this evening to do that one but you know there's some stuff you probably need to take care of in that case with that and and our teams have been very cavalier about that in the past they leave dead bodies all over the place it don't seem to care right times so you know but it's not a it's meant to be, right? It's me- this is meant to be a satire. They're they are making fun of big corporations coming in and mm-hmm. muscling out small mom and pop shops, and then they're t- you know trying to make a thing about how they're all officious and uh, and whatnot. But I'm I'm just gonna say it: uh, the crew of the Trans Utopian aren't just bad; they are objectively terrible at their jobs. And the fact that Judson treats them like they're legendary is ridiculous because, and I will just give you an example. In this very episode, Callie, the the hotshot in the opening scene. Yeah, no, no, you're going here. Gets nearly strangled to death by a prisoner that she knows has been a problem. And she did not work in remotely a safe fashion there. No. And has her key stolen. Then the prisoner gets out. And again, instead of subduing him with a stun round, which I don't, I don't know what a stun round does to someone. 
Maybe it does do permanent physical damage, but you know what also does permanent physical damages? Blunt trauma to the skull. Yes, it does. And so she roundhouse kicks this guy, which I got to ask myself, stun gun worse than roundhouse kicking him? I, I don't know, but I'm thinking no. And she blunthouse kicked him into an electrical grid, which nearly kills him, which would lose them the bounty, and nearly destroys their ship. They are objectively awful. Dante has done stuff like that, too, that nearly got the ship destroyed because of just dumb decisions. And this is one of them. And, and like, if this, if these guys are the legendary bounty hunters, imagine how bad the others are. Yeah. Um, speaking of Judson, I did notice that the, that despite the set, despite the satirical aspect, which you mentioned, I mean, he does come across as being a nice, decent, honest person. Yes, he is not bad. And and another thing that I will I will add to this is that the, despite the fact that they call them, you know, the competition, the rivals of the name of the episode, and that they're trying to, you know, put them out of business, which, you know, is that a true statement? I don't know if that's a true statement. Is Is one business trying to put out their competitors, or are they just trying to... You know, it depends on how you view that that dynamic. It's like I, I'm not necessarily trying to put my rival pizza chain out of business. I'm just trying to get as much money as I can. So you know, but they don't do. They aren't evil. They aren't bad. They're they are bureaucratic. They're bureaucratic, but they are not the bad guys in this episode. They they are just simply other people who are traveling along this same path with our crew. And yes, they do some sneaky things to avoid detection but they're doing sneaky things in the same way that companies keep trade secrets from their competitors exactly this seems like a completely legit company seems like and it seems like maybe they're not really bad it's just you know we had to put them in a position where they look stupid so that Callie could look better than them which you know fine you know, I don't, I don't mind that. I mean, people make mistakes. It's coming. Just, it was, in a way, it was refreshing that they were not, they weren't the bad guys. The bad guy was the assassin. Nothing more, nothing less. And as you say, Captain Judson seemed to be a stand-up guy. Uh, in fact, they, they basically said he had the same history say as they, Cali. You say background, a, yes. Except Jupiter instead of Mars. Yes, you know, he he's the guy that uh, ferrets out the criminals in their in their ranks. Hence, this guy trying to kill him uh, in the end. So, I, yeah, I, I it's um it's it's not a bad episode. It just has a couple of those things. Like, let's talk let's talk about this more. I did look up the writer and the director. Okay, the writer is David T. Riley. Okay. He wrote three episodes for this season. We have seen another one already, The Prisoner. The Prisoner, that is not ringing any bells. That's where the orchard came back and it had catchpole in it. Oh, okay. And that lay in that woman uh, whose husband oh, Travis the, the, had killed. So, yes, okay. Okay. Was, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And we have another one coming up called Just Politics. Okay. Which we'll talk about when we get to it. And then the director is Michael Cocker. 
who directed Kate. one other episode this season, and we have seen it. It was the previous episode, Kate. Uh, uh, Seems me the problem I, with Kate was the writing, not the direction. The direction was uh, transparent to me, which in many ways is the best compliment I can pay to a director. I mean, once in a while I like to see something fancy, but most of the time just get it out of the way and get the job done. Yeah. Works works for me. I didn't notice anything like Travis's big boots slapped up on yeah. the table. <laughs> exactly. Or too many Dutch angles or rotating yeah. cameras. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh it, it was it flew under my radar. So that that is good. I did I did notice how Rudolph Rodolfo said how he wanted to die. And it's a very yeah. ru- very Rudolfo answer. Yes, yes, I, it was. I wrote it down in the arms of a great big but busty blonde, and I have to say there are worse ways to go. Well, you know, unless he's being shot in the back of the head by the great big busty blonde's husband. Yeah, which could be which could be likely at that point. Yeah, yeah, might might very well be. Let's see, what else do we have in this episode? Um, we don't have much Percy. I do appreciate what Callie said to her. Uh, someday. You might say something. I remember but that was line. It useful, meaningful. Useful. Useful, yeah. Pretty much on target. Percy never says anything useful, um, so fair enough. We have the scenes with Marcus trying to get Travis to confront, I guess, his feelings. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because everybody else on the ship can see it. Even the guest characters can see it. And Yep. Even the even stupid computer Kate can see it in about yes, two and a half seconds. Exactly. It's yeah. Uh, and and okay, I'll 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 go there too. Marcus should say something. Marcus is Travis's old friend. They've been knocking around for a long time. They're the closest thing to a buddy buddy team there that they've got. Marcus should be able to say something to Travis. You know? Yes. Dude, she likes you. Can't you see that? What you know that that's that is the character that should have the talk, but they do that thing they do in TV shows where they don't, and then they just give the look like doesn't see it. It's like, well, if he doesn't see it, and you're his friend, and you know he doesn't see it, open your mouth and say something. But no, and then uh, Rudolfo, uh, Rudolfo is Rudolfo. He's useful. He's useful, yes. He's useful in the episode. I, I will give him that. Uh, more times than not, he is at least competent at what he's doing, even if he's griping about it or you know, arguing uh, a different path. And it's a fair evaluation. He, he seemed to be, you know, he was on with the computer stuff. He was on with the tracking. Yes, they tricked him, but that was their intent. I, I But I don't have much else. I don't either. It's interesting to talk about the really, um, you know, if... So it seems to me that when the episodes fall somewhere in the middle, there's less to discuss. Yeah, I mean, yes. It, 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 if they aren't bringing anything, if they're bringing anything super deep to the table and they aren't bringing anything super awful to the table, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of hard to sometimes, it just depends. Yeah. You know, whether there's a, a lot to, like, this was just, this was all right. And, yeah. you know, if, if, if the bulk of Star Hunter Redux were this, I probably would like the show better than I do. I don't know that I'd be, you know, a, a big fan of it, but 
there are lots of shows out there that I'm not a fan of that I can watch and just go, yeah, all right. And 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 then there are some that that kind of put me on edge. And this one is one yeah. that does sometimes put me on edge a lot. And uh, this is it's just you know. Uh, I okay. guess we'll see. I don't recall hating the prisoner. Uh, it was no, you didn't. Um, you both were. Um, I think we had some issues about. We, we both shut nails at Kate, but um, yeah, yeah, the prisoner yeah. was there. Um, but we really no, we didn't didn't go that extreme. But I seem to recall the questions were had to do with with the uh, the the uh, divinity cluster stuff, which yeah was inconsistent with what we've seen or experienced in the yeah. past um but you know yeah. again so you've got this guy riley and he comes in to write a script and they say cram the divinity cluster in there or or you know he's like oh i got this idea about the divinity or whatever it happens to be i mean he's he is trying to build upon some prior year mythos without you know that having been a thing for this entire year's cast so i I can get that. Uh, it'll be interesting when we get to his third episode as to whether or not he he keeps this run of being inoffensive. Large. <laughs> I am um, looking as I recall. Just politics. It's a fairly solid story. So um, that one. Um, so, I, but we'll talk about that when we get to yeah. it. And another one that we'll talk about when we get to is, uh, and I don't comment on this off it, but it is part of this episode. Uh, I have a feeling. Just just in the back of my mind that next week's episode or the next episode, uh spare air conditioning or something, um, is is probably going to give me some triggers. <laughs> just well, based on the preview with the whole bit. I have an identical twin who looks actually, nothing like me. It's like actually oh God. there <laughs> is okay, there is an is an in story reason for the difference and it's plastic surgery, but just so you know, yeah. so people are aware of that I mean, it's, it's not like the movie Twins with Arnold yeah, yeah. and Danny De, De, De DeVito, where the joke is that they look very different, but somehow they're twins. But there is the the story reason for the next for the next episode of Star Hunter Redux is that this other one's had so much work done, he just changes his yeah, look every I, now and again. I can I can buy that. It's just it's a it when I heard him say, I have an identical twin who looks nothing like me, something like that, which he didn't know about. There is that whole thing about TV tropes of, wait, I have an identical twin I never knew about. That's one. That's enough of a trope. Following it up with, and we look nothing alike, is, it's like, okay, they're going to have to work hard, but all right. We'll, <laughs> we'll let them, we'll let them give it a try. Um, we'll talk about that when it comes up, and the name of the the name of the episode is the air and the spare. Air and the spare. Yes, I can even tell that this. I can tell from the title of this that this is a. Uh, what is the name of that film where they breed people for body parts, rich people for body parts? Oh, um, the island. Is it the island? I think there's another one too. There are Ele- several. Elysium. But the, one, the one that was comes Elysium. To one of them. I don't know about that. The one other one came to mind was the island, but it also the spares are a, already a plot point in season two of Star Hunter Redux. That's right. They had that from from the uh, from Martian stuff for from Callie. Yeah, chasing Janus. Yes. So yep, yep. That's what that felt like when I saw that title, and I'm like, okay, okay. That's what I'm guessing. All right. In that case, Kenneth, 
All right. Thank you for joining me for this My... uh, innocuous episode of, of yes. uh, Star Hunter Redux. My pleasure. And listeners, I do hope you will join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusionpatrol or patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at fusionpatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusionpatrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking at the Crime Traveler episode number four, The Revenge of the Chronology Protection Hypothesis. When we discuss weather and when the show needs to break its own temporal formula, what the advantage might be of having supper in Holly's time machine, and the effect of temporal physics on the doctrine of act and omission. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol when we look at the episode Jeff Slade and the Revenge of the Chronology Protection Hypothesis. Also, don't forget that between now and April 7th, 2023, over at soundcloud.com Fusion Patrol, we're running our special series on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Check it out.